Good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. Um, and if you happen to have the kids who are in grades one through five, they know this part of the service is the time where they get to sprint to the aisles and head out to, with their volunteers for kids' worship. You'll hook up with them, of course, uh, in a few minutes. And, and we know, of course, as Heidi said, and Amy and I have always talked about how, you know, uh, the, this idea of Thanksgiving, uh, which we're going to be celebrating here in a few days, is uh, starting, it just kind of gets squeezed out, doesn't it, in our culture. It seems like, you know, Halloween has become such a big thing, and adults have gotten in on it, and the dress-ups and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, that's, that's fine and everything. And then, of course, Christmas is, is so huge that it feels like sometimes Thanksgiving gets kind of squeezed out. It's kind of an afterthought, and I hope that's not an afterthought for you. Not because, like, the American holiday of Thanksgiving, it's just a, a national civic ho- holiday. That's, that's all it is, right? You don't have to be a, a follower of Jesus or a part of any sort of, you know, faith background at all to, to celebrate and, and, and enjoy that day of Thanksgiving that our government has established as the fourth Thursday of, every, of, of November in every year. But as believers and followers of Jesus, to be thankful is something that is not confined to the fourth Thursday, right, of November on an annual basis, but it gives in the rhythm of our life, uh, it gives me an opportunity to remind you, not that we never talk about thankfulness any other time throughout the year, but certainly it's appropriate, appropriate for us to talk about it because as it says on the top of your notes, and you can grab those out if you'd like and follow along with me, we are called to give thanks. We are a people who have, by the, by the power of God, been redeemed back into relationship with him. We are the people who have been given new life in Jesus Christ. We are, been, we are people who have, who have been given a new identity. We are people who have confidence for today and hope for tomorrow and also eventually hope for our eternity. And so because of that, we are people who are called to be thankful. In the Psalms, which are filled with calls to be uh, of thanksgiving, uh, known as, you know, the, the, the Psalter was known as, Israeli, as the Israeli songbook, so to speak. And so in, that, in Psalm 100, the writer says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Now, I could, you know, we could do all sorts of things with this, uh, with this talk about being thankful today. We could talk about all the reasons that we could be, that we should be thankful today. And there's be a laundry list of things that you could jot down on your notes, right? Everything from, from the life that you have, the fact that you are sitting upright right now, that you are alive. <laughs> it could be the thankfulness that you have for the person that you're sitting next to, or as you look across the room, somebody else. Or as your mind thinks about it, maybe a family member or a great friend or a fellow uh, believer that lives uh, far away from here. There's your, your employment. There's the fact that most of us after this service, you know, our, our stomachs are already telling us probably in about an hour and a half from now or less, you will have something in it and you will be happy, right? There's all sorts of stuff for us to be thankful about, the homes that we have, the families, the jobs, the things that we get to enjoy. But I'd, I'd like for us to just instead focus on a different uh, thing this morning. It's not a thing, it's a person. I'd like for us to focus on the reasons that we should be thankful for God himself. And the first thing I would suggest that we would be thankful for is the fact that he is, that, uh, uh, whoop, I went too far, sorry, it's kind of backing up on me. The fact of his love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. In fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 106, 1, that we are to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And in Psalm 107, it also says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works 
to humankind. Certainly God's love is something that is beyond all measure. Again, whether or not the lunch we have in a little bit is the best we ever had or it's kind of meh, whether or not we feel good about things, everything in our life right now, the fact that we know that God is love and God loves us is an incredible reason to be thankful. There's something there, and the, and the thing is, is that is something that never changes. All of these things that I'm about to share with you, and by the way, I'm going to give you a list of like, I think it's seven things that we can be thankful, right? I could give you a list of 70 things, 700 things, 7,000 ways in which we should be thankful for God. But because I, 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 I love you guys, I'll narrow it down to seven. God is love. His love is amazing. His love is forever. His love for you abides. His love for you is one that, it, that, that cannot be changed. It's such a powerful reason for us to be thankful. We can also be thankful for God in his provision, right? God carries us. God provides for us. God gives, again, think about all the ways. Again, if, if you could just, if you did a little bit of an exercise, we stopped for a couple of minutes today, and we just jotted down all the ways for, in which he has provided for you. Some of you are sitting next to a spouse that he provided for you, or a significant other, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Some of you are sitting next to other family members. Some of you are reminded of the way he's provided for you in the, in the, again, the job that you have and the food that you have and the home that you have and the clothes that you're wearing, all those ways. And, and we like to say, well, yeah, I, yeah I, I worked for that. Like I put in hours. But th- how many of you know that there are people all around the world that work really just as hard as you do who are sitting here and maybe have literally absolutely almost nothing? Now, I'm not saying it's, we play this comparison game. That's a dead-end road. That's not what I'm suggesting we do. But I'm just, I'm just encouraging you to remember that it is God who provides for us. He ultimately is the one. He is the giver of every gift that we have in our life. If it wasn't for his love and his provision, we would be destitute in so many ways. And so that's why Paul calls the Ephesians to give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you begin to, again, just think about all those, what everything is for you, this wonderful uh, fellowship, the incredible God that you have, all those tangible things that we've already talked about, God is our provider. Maybe the ultimate demonstration of his love and his provision is we can be thankful for his gift of Jesus to us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us when we were still sinners. Again, whatever happens in our life, whatever we might face, whatever we go through, whatever the ups and downs, however they take us, the tragedies that we have to sometimes walk through together, God's love is real for us in the gift of Jesus, and he has shown it to us. He hasn't just said it, he has proved it. One translation says he demonstrates his love for us in this. Christ died for us when we, while we were still sinners. Roman, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse says, while we were of no use whatsoever to him, Christ died for us. That's love. That's something we can say, Doesn't thanks seem like just so trite and so minimal and so not enough? 
But thankfulness, a genuine heart of thankfulness for the gift of Jesus is again another reason that we can stay focused on living a life of gratitude all the time as we focus on God. For some of you, a great way to cultivate thankfulness in your life is to consider his creation. Some of you, maybe even like me, like to get outside and, and just enjoy, you know, nature. Take a walk in a, in a trail. Some of you, uh, you know, love to hike. Some of you love to run or bike. Some of you like to be on water. The, 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 the create, when, when you consider uh, the, the incredible handiwork of God, yeah, the Psalms are filled with those kind of recollections of why we should be thankful for God and who he does as the, as the creator of all that we see and we don't see. And in, in Psalm 136, verse 3, the writer says, Give thanks to the Lord of lords, to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. When you think about, again, just getting out and, and, and reflecting on the vastness. I mean, sometimes, you know, Amy and I went over a couple of, of times this summer over to, to Lake Michigan, kind of to the Warren Dunes area, you know, and you just sit there and you look out and all you can see is just that water. And that's just one little lake. It's not even ocean, right? That's one little lake. I realize it's a great lake. But that's one body of water. And, and you think, Scripture says, in the palm of his hand, he holds the waters of the world. That's all the Great Lakes and the oceans and the little lake that I live on in Belleville, <laughs> all that stuff. When you think about his creation and his handiwork, when you sit out with your family on a starry night around the bonfire, you feel the crispness in the air, a little too crisp these days, right? <laughs> and you look up and you see the stars and you reflect on the one who is mindful of you and yet he created all of this. And we say, thank you for our enjoyment that we might be able to experience life and think about the things, again, on those hikes and swims and bike rides and road trips and vacations that you've been, been able to experience that are all dependent upon the handiwork of God. When you hiked that mountain, when you saw the Grand Canyon, when you canoed that river, when you sat in that field. Oh, how wonderful and marvelous is the handiwork of our Father. And we say thank you. His word, <laughs> that's something to be thankful for, right? We hold this word in high uh, value at this church and we believe it would be uh, unfortunate in, if in any church it wasn't in high value. But again, not so much, not to see it as just this set of rules and regulations, but this is God's letter to you his passionate letter of love to you, that he wants you to know him. And because he wants you to know him, he inspired writers over the course of thousands of years to tell you the story of him and you and how you might be together. What a gift that is to us. I know the way we see it. Oh, I haven't read my Bible for a while. It's a duty. It's an obligation. I feel guilty if I don't do it. You know, all that kind of stuff. But it's a gift. It's a privilege. 
How much less would we know about God if he would have never inspired those writers if we didn't have these 66 books? But God, because he loves us, again, all going back to that, but God, because he wants to provide for our spiritual growth. God, because he cares, because he doesn't want to leave us as orphans, because he knows we need it, he gives us the gift of his word. And we say thank you. The gift of his word, it's, it's one that's, that's, a, that's a powerful reminder of how much he loves us. And we, we know from scripture that as we consider God's word and how, how important it is, how important it is for shaping us. You know, you just spend time in, in one psalm, the Psalm 119, and you can be reminded about how important the word and the statutes and the decrees and the law of the Lord is in our life. He gives us his word. He gives us his family. Right here, this thing right here. This thing known as the church. The ecclesia, the gathering, the family of God, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Paul, all throughout his writing to the believers, the ancient believers, whether it was to the Colossians or or the Thessalonians or the Corinthians, he reminded them about how wonderful it is for them to be part of this thing known as the family of God. John himself writes that how great it is, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. We're part of this family. He's our Father, and we're each other's brothers and sisters and we carry one another's burdens and we rejoice together and we, and, we, and we cry together. We enjoy good times together and we walk through those tough times together. We celebrate when one of us has a new baby and we mourn and cry and grieve when someone loses a loved one to death. Right? The family of God. The church of Jesus. Not just for a place. Not, it's not a place just for us to go on Sunday mornings. It's, it's, it's a body. It's an organic thing that we experience. A family that we're engaged in. And so Paul writes to those Thessalonians in the beginning of his letter to them. His first letter to them. And he says to them, we always thank God for all of you. And that should be our heart. I thank God for you. When I... When I, I have the privilege of letting my eyes meet everyone's eyes, not in everyone's, but in a, in a broad stroke. And as I see the different faces and I think about the different ways in which you have contributed to this family, I am filled with thanks. I'm not just saying that because that's the pastorly thing to say. I am thankful for you, who you are, not just the, the, the contribution that you might make by being here and investing in the ministry. Oh, yes, I am thankful for that, but I'm thankful for you and the different ways in which you make up this thing known as the church at Calvary. His family, another thing for him that we can be thankful for. And also, we can be thankful for his presence. He is with us. He abides with us. One of the most powerful things that Jesus said to his first followers when he was going to leave right before he would ascend and go back to the Father, he has mentioned to them about the gift of the Holy Spirit that he would give them because he didn't want them to be left orphaned. He, they, he wanted them to have that abiding presence. They didn't fully probably understand that when he said it, but they would on the day of Pentecost. But he kind of foreshadowed that right before he uh, ascended to the Father in Matthew chapter 28 when he said to them, and remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. I'm with you each and every day. 
you can't go anywhere where he's not with you, church. In your darkest time, he is there. In your greatest celebration, he is there. Each and every day and every second minute moment of every day, he's there with you. His presence is there. Why? Because he lives within you. The scripture teaches that we are filled with his Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus as Savior. And so we have this being lived out in our lives. This promise from Jesus is real. It's not just fake. It's not just some nice words. It's real. It's true. He is with you each and every day. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. What father would do that? What parent would do that? Certainly not our heavenly father, right? Certainly not our perfect parent. He would never do that. And that's why Jesus was able to say to them, I, I, your God will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so it brings us, when we think of all of those things, his provision and his gift of Jesus, his love, his creation, his family, his word, when we think of all that, it brings us to that place, right? I know, it brings us to that place where our hearts should be just filled, overflowed, overflowing with gratitude. And I, I know, I know what maybe a few of you are thinking. You may not want to say it out loud or admit to it, but you're like, yeah, but you don't know my life. I know that reality. I'm not that stupid. I understand what real life is. And I understand that some of you might even be sitting here today saying the last thing that I feel right now is thankful. You don't know what he's done to me. You don't know what just happened at work. You don't know what my physician just told me. You don't know what my bank account looks like. You don't know what kind of conflict I'm in. You don't know what kind of anxiety I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing right now. And I don't know that for every individual. You're right. But I know that life, as it says on the back of your notes, if you flip, flip it over, I know that life at times gets messy, rough, and ugly. And if you've got a better adjective to stick in there, jot it down. I know that's how it gets. And I know in that moment that, the, again, it's very difficult to have, to, as, as a follower of Jesus to be one who says, yeah, I, I'm thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That sounds good, Pastor Dave, but that's tough. So for those of you who are experiencing good life right now, things are kind of clicking, they're banging for you, it's all going pretty well, I'm not telling you to check out, but maybe you can just nod along with me, uh, even if it's not. Maybe what this next five or six minutes is may not, may not be for you, but there might be some of you who especially need to hear today some tips for being thankful when life gets messy, when it gets rough, when it gets ugly. And by the way, I would encourage all of us to listen because if you're not facing it now, uh, give it a week or two. <laughs> you might be in that mess or something like a messy situation before too long. So the first thing that I would suggest is we need to refine our focus. We need to refine our focus. The Bible says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the, uh, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Sometimes when life is chaotic and when we are bombarded, 
we have to get tunnel vision to a certain degree and say, I need to fix my eyes on the person of Jesus and my identity in him. I need, to po- I need to train myself to think about those things about God which I know are true. I need to fix my eyes on the one who said, neither death nor life, angels nor demon, height nor depth, neither nothing else in all creation could ever separate me from the love of God which is in who? Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's just got to be about you and Jesus. I'm telling you, it just does. It, it, that's just real. Because everything else, it seems like every other relationship is chaotic and burdensome. Uh, every time you walk into work, you break out in a cold sweat. You walk into home and there's tension. You look out at your neighbor and you're filled with maybe not the greatest feelings. I don't know what it is for you. You think about what that doctor said to you and you're like, oh, man. Fix our eyes, refine our focus. It, Paul says to the Corinthians also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, an, an important principle. He says, so we set our eyes, but that would be focusing, right? We set our eyes not on what we see. That's kind of an interesting wordplay, isn't it? We set our eyes not on what we see. What? But on what we cannot see. What do you see in your life? You see all the problems. You see all the, all the struggle. You see all the mess. You see all the ugliness. You see all the issues. And that's what we see. But, but Paul says, don't set your eye on all of that, but, set, but on what we cannot see. What we see will only last a short time. You're like, I've been going through this for years. But yes, compare it to eternity. 70, 80, 90, 100 plus years compared to eternity. Again, I'm, I'm not saying this to, 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 to minimize the struggle of life. I am empathic with you. I connect with you in that. I've experienced that myself. But I'm saying one way in which we can still be thankful is to fix our eyes on the fact that what we cannot see, what we have not yet experienced, it will be forever. And Paul says, these things that I have faced and If you want to find an example of someone who faced a lot of negative stuff, read the life of the Apostle Paul. Rejected by his family, rejected by his hometown, kicked out of basically the the Jewish aristocracy, sacrificed a Harvard slash Yale sort of education experience. He said, and then not only that, but the physical beatings and, and, and torture that he faced. And the, and the risk that he endured, he said, all that stuff that I've gone through, it pales in comparison to the glory that I will receive. You see, he understood that what he was going through, what he was experiencing, what he saw in his life, it was just a short time. But what he was going to receive from the Father, that would be forever. Whew, man, that's good stuff. Even for me, that's good stuff, you know? I'm going to kind of twist it on you now. I told you you got to get tunnel vision and fix your eyes on Jesus. But now I'm going to say something almost the exact opposite, right? Not to be like schizophrenic on you or anything. You got to enlarge your perspective. You got to think about the fact, here's what happens. When things begin to go bad for us, what we, begin, we become very insulated. We, became, we become very inward focused, Right? It all becomes about our problems, our needs, our struggles, our everything that we're going through. And, and it's not that those things, again, aren't real, but we have to enlarge our focus. What does scripture say? Because we're part of the family of God, we need to consider other need, others' needs more important than our own. 
We need to look to the needs of others and not just be so self-obsessed. We also need to remember that in the midst of what we're going through, God may be using what we're going through at this very moment to reach someone. You see, God's will is that all people would, would come to be saved, would come to a knowledge of the truth according to 1 Timothy 2.4. And so sometimes we're going through that tough time because he might want to use it to redeem someone to himself through your example, through your witness, through your testimony. So we got to enlarge our perspective at the same time that we're focusing on Jesus. Third, we've got to train our thoughts. We've got to direct our thoughts. We've got to take captive those thoughts. Many of you know this verse, and maybe some of you have even memorized it. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Again, what do we do when it begins to get rough? We dwell on the problem. How come I have cancer? Why did I lose my job? How could she have left me? How can my kids say that to me? How can my mom do that to me? We dwell on that, right? We fixate on it. It takes discipline to train ourselves to direct our thoughts toward that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable that which has moral excellence and is praiseworthy. And by the way, most of those kinds of things are related to the person of, you know, say it. It's the, it's the, it's the Sunday school answer for everything. Jesus, thank you. Focus on Jesus and by, by directing our thoughts, it takes us back to that focus on Jesus. This is something, this next thing is something too I I think we oftentimes forget about how important it is, is when we're going through this difficult time, we need to pour out our heart to God. We need to be honest with him. He invites us to cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us, according to 1 Peter 5. Pour our heart out to him. Share with him our disappointment, our frustration, our discouragement. David said words like that even to God himself. About how he was disappointed and discouraged and disillusioned and didn't understand what God was doing. He poured his heart out to him in honest and authentic transparency. And for most of us, we may be more probably most comfortable doing that in a, in a, in a private setting maybe in our inner prayer time. But I would suggest to you too that one of the things that we as a church, we in the Christian community have kind of lost is the ability to have community lament. How do we lament together? How do we cry out to him together for the tragedies and injustices, for the things that are going on in our society that break our hearts? How do we cry out to him together in honest and open prayer to him? Not just seeking wisdom and guidance, and that's, that's good, and we need that from him and empowerment, but just laying our hearts out to him. As we do that, I think one thing that will happen is, will be this last tip for you when life gets messy, rough, and ugly, and that is to remember his faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. Remember the fact that he 
never disappoints. Many of you are familiar with this, these few verses from Lamentations chapter 3 where Jeremiah says this. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. You know, that sounds wonderful, isn't it? Doesn't that sound so powerful from, from Jeremiah just sharing that? It just sounds so like prophetic and so like spiritually mature. Have you read the first 19 or 20 verses of that chapter? The context for which Jeremiah utters those words is for many of us, when we hear it, almost blasphemous. Some of the things he shares are shocking. They don't sound very holy, righteous, pious. They don't sound like a follower of God. He says, in beginning in verse 1, listen to this. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. God's, that is. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with, with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. I don't remember ever hearing anybody pray like this in a public service. You? We feel it though, right? We feel it. I won't continue, but if you want to read the rest of it, I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you do it on your own. I'll just get the last couple of verses here. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became like the laughingstock of all my people. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. That doesn't sound like somebody who's very thankful. And at some point in his life, I don't know if it's in the same prayer time or if this is the culmination of a lot of stuff for him, but at some point in his life he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And then he says those words right there. Now, is the dude just spiritually whacked out? Is he crazy? No, he under, he's real. He understands. God knows what he's going through. It was a very difficult mission that Jeremiah had. And if you, think, if you read about his life and what he had to go through and what he faced, it was an incredible. And that's why God said to him, I'm going to give you a forehead like uh, as hard as flint, as hard as granite. <laughs> Because the blows you're going to take are going to be tough, my friend. But you're going to be there prophesying in my name and you're going to continue to do it. And here's what's going to happen. Ain't nobody going to listen. He experienced that downcast soul reality in a very real way. So did Paul. So have some of you. 
And so his words, maybe those words today might be your words. But don't let those words be the end. I direct you to these words. It's not one or the other. It's recognizing that in our pain, in our anguish, in our strife, in our tragedy, in our problems, great is the faithfulness of the one in whom we can put our hope. What did, what did Jeremiah say in that, in that, that last verse before, before he said these words on the screen? He said, <clears throat> just to read it to you again, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind. So refine your focus, enlarge your perspective, direct your thoughts, pour out your heart, and remember his faithfulness. We want to sing that song today as we're wrapping up as a reminder to you of how you can be thankful in those tough times. So the worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness together. Would you stand with me? Let's pray as they make their way to the stage and get ready to lead us, lead us in that closing song. Father God, as I alluded to, saying thanks seems so lame. And yet our hearts, Lord, are genuinely thankful for all of those ways in which you have given yourself to us. And as we're reminded of the incredible, unmatched, never-ending faithfulness of our Father, we pray that the simple words of this hymn that's touched many lives throughout the years, that it would do, that you would use it to do a work in our hearts and to cultivate, regardless of where we might find ourselves, on the joy versus struggle continuum. Might cultivate in our hearts people who are thankful. Thankful for your faithfulness.